be reading from John chapter 20, verses 1 through 18. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Uh, Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth which had been laid on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in and saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white, sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom do you seek? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he said these things to her. You may be seated. Oh, great God, we come before you today, Lord, full of joy, knowing that the tomb is empty. And Lord, we come as those who have been adopted by your great love. And Father, as we turn to your word now, Father, we ask for your help. Lord, we ask that you would, by your spirit, Lord, you would change us by your word. Father, would you give us eyes to see and ears to hear? And Lord, would you give us hands and feet that are willing to respond in obedience? Lord, would you be with me? Father, would you help me to say only that which is helpful? And Lord, would you help me to hide behind the cross and the empty tomb? And Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning, church. As was just read, we'll be studying in John. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn there. He is risen. Man, good job. Um, see some new faces. So very briefly, uh, if you're new here, uh, my name is Justin Howard and um, was an intern and a pastoral apprentice uh, for a few years. And then uh, you guys sent my wife and I to Bulgaria and 
we're now in, in Charlotte studying at seminary there. Um, we are thrilled to be with you this morning, and we are thrilled to be continuing in uh, the study of John. Uh, the last time that I preached, it was John 18, and that was where Jesus is arrested and betrayed. And I confess, it was a rather gloomy passage. And really, chapters 18 and chapter 19 of this book have, have been rather dark. There have been glimmers of hope, as John has woven throughout his narrative, but let's be honest, there's a lot of darkness and sadness when we read as to how our Lord and Savior was betrayed, was beaten, and killed. But today, the tomb is empty, because he is risen. And so we um, will continue looking. Uh, But I do need to first confess that as I was studying this passage, I found myself being the least familiar with John's account of the resurrection. For whatever reason, I was more familiar with the synoptics. And as I was reading, uh, I was reminded of of that feeling that you get when you rewatch a movie. In fact, John's narrative is reminiscent of a familiar movie. You already know the outcome. We already know that they're going to go to the tomb and they're going to find it empty. And the, uh, the temptation of that is that we, we miss some of the, the impact of when we, we first watched a movie or when we first read uh, the, the resurrection. I, I, for, I remember the first time I watched the third Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King, and there's one scene where um, Frodo and Sam, they're, they're climbing up and they enter into the, the layer of, uh, I need to, Shilob. Uh, I'm sure somebody that is a big Lord of the Rings fan will correct me. But the big evil giant spider. Uh, I remember being a kid watching that and just being terrified of that entire scene. Uh, I, was, I was on the edge of my seat wondering, is Frodo going to live? Now when I watch that movie, I just think, silly Frodo, why are you listening to Gollum? What are you doing? Um, but I don't, I, don't, I don't watch that scene with, with much anticipation because I know that he's going to live and he's going to go on and destroy the ring. And so uh, my hope, my prayer for us this morning is as we dive into the resurrection that we will do so with fresh eyes, that we may not miss God's great power and God's great love. And so our passage this morning, uh, really, it just has two parts. And within those two parts are, are two encouragements. And so the, I think the point that, that John is communicating in this passage is Jesus is risen. It's a pretty simple point. Jesus is the risen Christ. He is the Word of God. The Lamb of God who has come and taken away the sin of the world. And now he will ascend back to the Father. And so the two parts of the passage are really two encounters. The first is John and Peter's encounter of the empty tomb. And the second part is Mary's encounter with the risen Savior. And so let's look at the first part Peter and John's encounter of the empty tomb. So our passage starts on the first day of the week. 
and Mary Magdalene going to the tomb. When she arrives, she sees that the stone is rolled away. Immediately, she runs and tells the other disciples. And Peter and the other disciple, or the beloved disciple, and, and we know from John 21 that, that John is referring to himself. So Peter and John race, quite literally, towards the tomb. They race to the tomb because Mary comes to them and says, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Mary announces that Jesus' body had been stolen, and in response, Peter and John pursue the tomb. On the way, John outruns Peter, but John does not go into the tomb. He stays on the outside, he stoops down, and he sees the linen cloths that were over Jesus' body. And then we find out that Peter arrives to the tomb. And although he was second to the tomb, he was the first to enter the tomb. John tells us that Peter also saw these same linen cloths. But Peter saw something else. Peter saw the face cloth that was wrapped around Jesus. Now, these linen cloths were used in the burial process to make transporting the body easier and to hold oil and, and spices to help with the scent. And then John walks in following Peter, and he sees the same thing. And in verse 8, John tells us that when he walked into the tomb and saw what Peter saw, that he believed. So we've got to ask the question, what did John believe? Because you remember Mary's claim was that the body had been taken. And so is that what John is believing? Does he believe Mary's claim that Jesus' body had somehow been stolen? Or does John believe something greater has happened at the tomb. So in order to answer that question, we need to put on our investigative lens. Some of you may love watching criminal shows and trying to figure it out. So we're going to do that for just a few moments. So look back and what does John tell us is in the empty tomb? Or what does John tell us is at the, quote, scene of the crime? The linen cloths. That's right. And in what condition does John tell us the linen cloths were in? Well, he tells us that the face cloth in particular was neatly rolled up. And so at this crime scene, we have Jesus' grave clothes neatly left in the tomb. And so right away, John is presenting us with the evidence that this doesn't appear to be a grave robbery. If Jesus' body was taken by grave robbers, then we have to ask the question, why in the world would they go through all the trouble of unwrapping Jesus' body and then rolling those cloths nice and neatly, only to leave them at the scene of the crime? It doesn't make any sense. And further, John has given us another piece of evidence earlier in his gospel. 
We all remember in John chapter 11 when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. And so Jesus arrived in Bethany and announced to Mary and to Martha that he is the resurrection. And so after four days, Jesus, it says, when Jesus had said these things, he cried out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, and his face wrapped in a cloth. Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. The contrast is rather obvious, I think. Lazarus was raised, but he was still bound. Jesus was raised unbounded. Lazarus did not conquer death, but in fact he needed to be set free from the remnants of death. But Jesus, however, was raised in victory with death having no grip on him. And so I think the evidence is clear that John believed that Jesus was raised from the dead. John believed that a divine hand had rescued Jesus' body rather than a human one. But notice what John says about his belief. In verse 9 he says, For as yet they did not understand the Scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Just as a quick aside, I think the, the plural they in verse 9 it communicates that what John saw and believed, Peter also saw and believed. Um, but John tells us something about his belief. Uh, he says, in effect, that they believed because of what they saw, not because of what they knew from the Scriptures. We might say that uh, they, they believed based on their experience rather than God's revelation. And specifically, they did not believe that the Messiah must rise, that, that necessity that Jesus must rise from the dead. So again, another question we need to ask is, well, why must Jesus, why must the Messiah rise from the dead? Well, we could go to a number of places to answer that question. We could really make the argument that that's what the rest of the New Testament is doing. Uh, but just a couple verses in Romans chapter 4, verse 25, Paul, I think, gives a clear answer. He says, Jesus, who was delivered for our trespasses and raised for our justification. You see, on the cross, Jesus paid the penalty that we owed because of our sin. Jesus suffered the wrath of God for our trespasses. And how do we know that God has forgiven our sins? We know that our, for, our sins are forgiven and that we're justified because of the empty tomb. Because God raised Jesus for our justification. And so this is the first encouragement that we see in our passage. That the resurrection secures our salvation. It secures our justification. It secures our right standing before a holy God. 
And this is why Paul in 1 Corinthians says, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. So beloved, we do not have to wonder if God loves us. We don't have to wonder if God will accept us or if God will forgive us, or if we have gone too far. We don't have to wonder these things because we have the empty tomb. And the empty tomb reassures us of our salvation. And this is the point that John and Peter did not understand. They believed that Jesus was raised from the dead, not because of what, uh, only because of what they could see, not because of what they knew in the Scriptures. And so by his own admission, John tells us that his faith, while sincere, was insufficient. It needed supplementing. Very often in our lives, God uses various experiences to draw us to himself. And those experiences, they're real and they're important. But I think here's a practical point for us. They they must be supplemented by the scriptures. Those experiences must be aided by growing in an understanding of who God is and what he's done revealed in the scriptures. We need theology to help root us in the scriptures. And this is really one of the main reasons that we gather on Sunday mornings. Is so that as we sing and as we pray and as the word is proclaimed, our faith is built up in the Word of God. This is why we've been marching through the the book of John, reading every verse, so that our faith is built up in the whole counsel of God and not just built on the parts that we like or that are comfortable for us. A faith that rests solely on experience is shallow and it will not be a firm foundation for the storms of life. So that's the first encounter, and that's the first encouragement. John and Peter at the empty tomb, and the resurrection secures our salvation. The second encounter is Mary's encounter with the risen Savior. We see in verse 10 that Peter and John, after seeing and believing, they return home. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she looked into the tomb. Before we get too much further, uh, it may be helpful to recall just a little bit of Mary Magdalene's history. She is mentioned in all four Gospels as the first person to see the risen Christ. Going back even further, Luke tells us that uh, Jesus healed Mary Magdalene of seven demons. And so, as I mentioned, she's mentioned in all four Gospels. And you may remember that the other Gospels tell us that there are other women with Mary Magdalene at the tomb. John obviously just mentions Mary Magdalene. And so some people have looked at, at the, the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, or Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then they've looked at John and they've seen, well, well, John only mentions Mary, but the other Gospels mention Mary Magdalene and, and, and the other, and other women. And so maybe John just got his details wrong here. I don't think we need to think that. I don't think we need to be worried of that. I think there's a, there's a way to kind of understand the, the different uh, moving parts in the four narratives. Uh, 
there's, there's a long version, but I'll try to uh, simplify it for us, is that sometime very early in the morning, uh, Jesus was raised. And the, that's when the earthquake came and the tomb guards, they fled. So Jesus is raised early. That's the first event on Resurrection Sunday. And then after that, Mary, along with the other women, they go to the tomb, taking spices with them. And when they arrive at the tomb, that's when they see the stone is rolled away. And at that point, Mary Magdalene runs and announces that to the other disciples. And of the eleven, John and Peter run to the tomb. And then we look, John and Peter see the tomb, and they believe, and then they go home. And then so now at this point, Mary has made a second trip back to the tomb, but this time she's just alone. So now Mary is at the tomb, and she's visibly distraught. She is weeping over the death of her beloved Jesus. And to make matters worse, Jesus has been stolen, or so she thinks. And so as she's there at the tomb weeping, she looks back in, and rather than seeing the linen cloths, she sees angels. And the angels ask her, Woman, why are you weeping? Hidden within that question is a subtle rebuke. They, they speak to Mary as ones who already know that Jesus has been res- resurrected. The angels, they're, they're God's messengers speaking to Mary. And it ought to be clear to Mary that something supernatural has taken place. She's conversing with angels. And so their question effectively is, Woman, why are you weeping? Jesus is risen from the dead. You have no reason for sorrow. In fact, this is a cause for celebration, not mourning. And I wonder if there are any of us who need to hear that same rebuke. As we've already, has already been mentioned, this past year has been hard on a number of fronts. And some of us have weeped. We have experienced sincere sorrow. And some of us, maybe we haven't had calls for weeping, but we, we've had calls for, for grumbling or complaining. And in those moments of grumbling and in those moments of complaining, we are subtly revealing what we believe about God's sovereignty in that moment. And if that's you this morning, and I know it has certainly been me, hear this rebuke. Why are you weeping? Why are you complaining? Jesus is risen. An eternal perspective changes everything. We don't have to live in sorrow. We don't have to live complaining about the trials and the difficulties. Because Jesus is risen, everything really will be okay. So may our lives continually reflect that eternal reality. So Mary responds to the angels. She says, they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Now at this point, she realizes that she's not alone at the tomb, that there's someone else. 
And so she turns around and she sees Jesus, but she doesn't recognize that it's Jesus. She assumes that he was a gardener. And so Jesus approaches Mary and asks her the same question that the angels asked her. Woman, why are you weeping? And again, Jesus' question, I think, carries that a similar rebuke as the angels. But Jesus asks a follow-up question. He says, whom are you seeking? Jesus is demonstrating to Mary that he knows the answer to her question before she ever says it. Light bulbs ought to be going off in Mary's mind at this point that something supernatural has happened at the tomb. Instead, she responds, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him. Just as Mary ran to the tomb in the dark, so she's still in the dark. She has no idea that Jesus is not dead, that his body has not been raised. Instead, she's so fixated on the dead body of Jesus that she fails to recognize her living Savior standing before her. And finally, Jesus reveals himself to Mary in one word. He just says her name, Mary. And with that one word, Jesus removes the darkness that was clouding Mary's vision. She immediately recognizes Jesus. She turns and says to him, Rabboni, a rabbi, or teacher. And we can picture the joyous occasion, that moment when the, the lights came on for Mary and she realized that, that Jesus was not dead and that his body had not been stolen, but in fact that he is alive. Now, Jesus' response in verse 17 has been perplexing to some. We have this joyous reunion, and Jesus says in verse 17, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. This scene has been perplexing to some because the the word that's translated, do not cling, is in other places translated as touch. And so, does Jesus tell Mary, don't touch me, but then goes and tells Thomas, touch me? I don't think that's the answer. As we've seen So we've taken into account Mary's processing of events. I don't think what Mary was doing was was simply touching Jesus, but rather clutching him or, or clinging to Jesus. And so Jesus' response, do not cling to me, I think really Jesus is doing two things in that moment to Mary. And I think they're they're important for us to see. On the one hand, Jesus reassures Mary's fear. He tells her, I have not ascended. And that's been Mary's concern from the very beginning of this passage, that Jesus has died and been taken away, that he's gone. So Jesus, he reassures her fear and says, Mary, I'm here. 
I'm not dead. No one's taken my body, but, but I'm right here. You don't have to cling to me because I'm, I'm here. But on the other hand, Jesus' response, he, he resets Mary's hope. Notice he tells her, go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to the Father. So Jesus tells Mary, do not cling to me because I am ascending to the Father. He resets her hope by saying, in effect, that, that Jesus' mission was never one of, of pure earthly dwelling, but rather that he, he descended for a purpose. And, and he accomplished that purpose in his life and on the cross. And so having accomplished that purpose, Jesus is now ascending back to the Father. So Jesus reassures Mary and says, I, I have not left, don't cling to me, but I am leaving. I am returning to my Father and don't cling to me because I must press on towards that final goal. And here in this moment, we really see the, the, the culmination of, of threads or themes that, that John has been weaving throughout his gospel. We remember in John chapter 3 when Jesus is talking with Nicodemus in that famous conversation. He says, you must be born again. But he says uh, something else in verse 13 through 15. He tells Nicodemus, no one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Go even earlier in John chapter 1, verse 14, he says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son, from the Father, full of grace and truth. John has been stressing Jesus' condescension to earth so that he might take away the sin of the world. And now in this moment, Jesus tells Mary, and having accomplished that, I'm now going to return to the Father. And so in verse 18, Jesus commissioned Mary to go announce to the disciples Jesus' resurrection. She goes and she announces, I've seen the Lord. I think about that for just a moment. Mary Magdalene, a woman in the first century, her testimony would not have been valid in court. She was possessed by seven demons. We don't know the details of her prior life, but being possessed by seven demons suggests, at the very least, a sketchy past. And yet, in the providence and grace of God, this is the first person to bear witness to the risen Lord. And so that's the second encouragement that we have from the resurrection. The resurrection secures our salvation, but it also secures our purpose. Jesus gave Mary the task of testifying 
to the resurrection to the disciples. Later we'll see that Jesus then gives that same charge to the disciples. Call Matthew 28, that famous passage. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And as Christians here today in 2021, we also have that same commission. If you remember in in the book of Acts, the book of Acts chronicles the, the establishment and the growth of the church. And perhaps the argument can be made we really haven't seen church growth as explosive or as effective as we have in the book of the in the book of acts and yet how was it that the gospel went from place to place as quickly and as far as it did it was in large part because of ordinary christians faithful christians we don't know their names But as persecution came to Jerusalem, it it caused those Christians to scatter. And as they scattered, they took with them God's word. So we read in, in Acts 4, 8, Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. And brothers and sisters, that is our great purpose. To bear witness to the glory of God to those around us. And so as we close this morning, I want us to consider Mary and the power of God. Mary, like Frodo Baggins, was an unlikely candidate for their task. And yet, in the grace of God, she was the first person to bear witness to the risen Christ. God chooses what is foolish in this world to shame the wise. And it is all too easy to judge by outward appearances, to look at someone and say, they're too far gone. It's no use. I'm not going to share with them. They they wouldn't believe it anyway. I don't don't really have time. It's easy for us to judge based on human standards. May that not be true of us. May we with boldness and great dependence on the power of God, declare His resurrection to all those that God would put before us. So now we will transition uh, to our time of communion. And uh, just a brief word about communion itself, and then I'll give some instructions about how that's done now. Um, During this time, we have an opportunity to remember what Christ has done. We remember as we celebrated on Friday, Jesus' death on the cross and, and Him absorbing God's wrath for us. But we also proclaim in this act that Jesus is in fact resurrected and that He is our Lord And so if you are here and you would not 
consider yourself a Christian, you're not trusting Jesus for your salvation, I would just ask that you, you don't participate in communion. Rather, I would invite you to participate by sitting and, and, and thinking about what we've looked at today. Consider Jesus. Consider his resurrection. And so if you are a Christian, uh, if you're a guest, if you're um, from a different church, but you're, you're, you're hoping and you're believing in Christ, then, then the table is open. Just remind us of, of Paul's warning that we would examine our hearts first. So take some time to pray, confess sin. If there's unrepentant sin or if you have strife with a brother or sister, Paul says to abstain. Deal with that first and then come next week to the table. But if, if that you don't fall into either of those categories, then the table is open and let's remember and let's proclaim the goodness and glory of God. And so I'm going to close this in prayer. And after that, uh, if you go through uh, this door, uh, I guess to the right near the red trash can, um, and then kind of circle around the uh, communion elements are out there. Um, they, they have two cups basically stacked in one another. Uh, you can grab one of those, or if you would prefer, there are prepackaged um, communion elements with the bread and, and the juice packaged, so be sanitary. Um, but yeah, I'll, I'll pray, and as you have had time to, to pray and respond, go feel free, grab the elements and, and take, uh, and then I think we'll sing one more song. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the empty tomb. Father, we thank you that, God, you loved us so much that you would send your Son to die, but further, Lord, to to raise him to life. Father, vindicating his perfect obedience to you. And, Father, we pray that we would leave here as people that are are trusting and are confident in your power. Father, would you give us opportunities this week to bear witness to the resurrection? Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.